Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today our guest is Sarah Enney. Sarah is an author of a brand new YA book titled Tell Me Everything. She's also the host of the First Draft podcast, where she sits down and talks writing with all different sorts of storytellers, from authors to musicians and more. Before we dive in, I just wanted to remind you that there is a link in the show notes, and that link will take you to all the books discussed today, as well as our social media accounts for both Sarah and The Stacks. Plus, if you shop through the links on Amazon, you're helping to keep The Stacks free. If you're in the market for new book recommendations, make sure to email us at askingthestacks at gmail.com. Send us your name, what you're looking for in a book, and maybe a few titles you've liked or not liked so much. And my guest and I will give you a suggestion on the podcast in our Ask the Stacks segment. It's a great way to get exposed to books you might not have ever heard of before. So email us at askingthestacks at gmail.com. If you love this show and want to help us grow and take on new exciting projects, check out our Patreon page. You earn perks like our virtual book club and get to know that you're supporting a podcast you love. It's super easy, so check out the details at patreon.com slash the stacks. Last thing, remember to subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast. Wherever you're listening to the show, click that subscribe button. It's super easy and it helps the stacks grow our bookish community. And we all know book people are the best people. Okay, let's get to my conversation with Sarah Enney. All right, everybody, we are here today with Sarah Enney. Sarah is the author of a new YA novel. It's called Tell Me Everything. And she's the creator and the host of the First Draft podcast. So Sarah, welcome to the Stacks. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me here. I am so excited. I'm really excited to have you. A fellow podcaster, fellow book lover. This Mm. is like very synergy already. When we're both in LA, I feel like this is a really fun community building exercise. This is perfect. (laughs) When you walked in the door, I was like, oh, I already love her. This is perfect. Um, So let's start. I guess I start kind of where you start, which is tell me a little bit about yourself. I know you start. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Yeah, I know my my whole... And that's really just like a funny thing to make it easy for me. I'm like, great. I have the first question out of the way. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So I am 
a young adult author. Um, I've been writing for about 10 years, but my first book just came out. So it's been a whole thing. (laughs) Um, But I've been writing for a long time. I was a journalist. Um, I moved around a bunch as a kid, but I've landed in LA. Um, I don't see myself leaving here anytime soon. Um, I'm hoping to, I'm writing the book. I hope to be the follow-up to tell me everything right now. But for the last five years, I've also been doing the podcast for Strap with Sarah Any, which has been super, super fun. You know, I'm sure you and I could talk forever about podcasting. It's a really, um, it's really cool. It's just a medium that I got fascinated by and I'm really interested in. And I love talking to people about their creative lives. So, um, that's where people can find me every week in between books. (laughs) What day of the week does your show come out? It's Tuesday. Okay, perfect. So Tuesday, first draft, Wednesday to stacks, Thursday, take a nap, read a book. (laughs) I don't know. Um, so I want to know kind of like why, why a, how did you start there? I know you were a journalist before and mm-hmm. I know that you like wrote crazy stuff like about like nuclear waste. Yes, I did. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love talking about it too when it comes up. I was, uh, yeah, I was a journalist and I, I was also an English major. Okay. So, um, like many English majors, you know, I left school kind of like dizzy and having read just so much canon, you know, which I think we're progressing now, but then was like so many dead white guys. Right. Um, so I moved to DC, started working as a journalist and, um, this is a whole story that we can get into, but basically, um, in 2008, my dad passed away suddenly oh. and it was a really intense, awful thing. And on the plane ride home from his memorial service, I had in my hand this like biography of Andrew Jackson, <laughs> you know, the least soothing thing imaginable. Right. So I was at an airport at Hudson books and I picked up twilight. Oh my gosh. Read it on the all in one go in a red eye flight and was just, I hadn't been swept away by a book like that in so long. And it came at such an important time for me to just leave my own brain. So I picked up New Moon at the layover at JFK. And I just immediately dove into those books. And then from there, that opened the door to YA for me. And I was like, oh my God, that's right. I love reading. And like reading is so fun and enjoyable. And YA is plot driven and, and soapy and fun. You know, it's a lot, why is a lot of different things, but that's what drew me back into it was a rediscovery of my love of reading. Okay. So then let me ask you this. You became an English major before you rediscovered your love of reading, which I'm assuming was from your childhood. Yes. When you went to be an English major, did you know it was going to be so much dead white guy? And did you think like, were you interested in that? Cause I feel like in high school people get kind of like pretentious and like, Oh my God, I just love F. Scott Fitzgerald and like Jane Austen just turns me on, you know, but like really you're like, I hate reading all these things too. So like, did you know? Um, that's such a good question. And it's interesting to try to get back into my headspace because I am not going to lie to you. I was definitely pretentious. Like, right. I of feel like course. that's like being a senior in high school is like being the worst, truly. <laughs> yes. Especially one who's like, oh, I want to read the greats or whatever. Right. You know, but in high school and we'll get into it, but my favorite book in high school was Their Eyes Were Watching God. Okay. I not love, a dead white guy. Not a dead white guy. And there was a, oh gosh, now I'm you know, going to forget. But there were a lot of books that really spoke to me that were different, but I didn't know. Like looking back in college, my biggest regret is I didn't take comp lit instead of English, you know, and I didn't know what it meant. And it's so obvious now looking back, but as a kid, I just thought English meant reading. And man, if I could go back and read more translated works and, you know, I was studying French too, I would have loved to read something, gotten to the point Mm. where I could read something in French. Um, but alas, I only was like, all I'm, all I know how to do is read books and write about them. So I, I guess I'll do English. And, and when I got further along in college is when I realized, oh, I'm, a, I'm really good at the writing part and I want to explore 
other ways I could do that as a living because I don't want to be a teacher. So I, that's how I found journalism. And to this day, I'm obsessed with nonfiction writing and, and essays and stuff like that. So I still really love that too. But I think, I think you hit on the point, on the point of why I lapsed from loving reading was that it was, I didn't know enough to know that I didn't want to be assigned this stuff and I didn't Mm -hmm. want to be reading this quote unquote canon. Uh, and now as an adult, I'm like, oh yeah, I wanted to read for history. I wanted to read for social, uh, reasons. You know, I wanted to learn more about the world by reading and and I wasn't getting that out of Shakespeare. Were there any works from the quote unquote canon that you do remember loving or that you wish or that you would want to revisit or that you have revisited? I have revisited The Great Gatsby because the first time I read it, I hated it. It was so boring. I didn't like it. (laughs) But when I reread it, I was able to recognize his unbelievable prose like right. that did stand out to me and like that final passage you know it's yeah I haven't um, read it since high school because I also hated it yeah to be honest <laughs> I would just pick it up in a bookstore and read the last page because okay. that was like whoa it was like oh this man was a master of words right but the book that I hated and have not revisited nor will I ever was um uh Catcher in the Rye Ugh. I made the okay, so I made the mistake of reading that book like right after college oh. as like a twenty-two year old, like I'm in New York City, like uh, everybody reads this, and I was like, this is actually at like toilet paper, like I hate this book so much, and I'm like big anti Catcher in the Rye because I'm big on hating books. I yeah. think it's fun, like I hate when people are like, I don't hate any book because someone put effort into it. I'm like, it's okay, someone could put effort into it, and you could still hate it. Yeah, I have to be a little careful now because I'm. In right. his job, but but I agree with you because also, and I like hating movies too because yes. I think sometimes you, it's almost like you're still honoring it because yeah. you're thinking about it. There's like a joy in really hating something because it means that it did something to you. Totally. The worst is like I put a book down and I don't remember who, what it was called and who wrote it. That's like the ultimate insult from me. I was looking through this. This is it's really funny, and I wasn't sure whether you would care about this at all, but I've been keeping a spreadsheet of books I've read since 2012. Oh my gosh. So that is what I brought here, a oh stapled spreadsheet of all the books I've read. Oh, and I can't wait. looking through all of this, I was like, wow, there's a couple books where I was like, what was that book? And that is like, is the biggest insult. That's gross to me. Yeah. yeah. Like hating something is like kind of fun and like joyful in a way. And you think about it. You're right. Like, why didn't I like it? And what it elicited, it yeah, something from you. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Wait, you, so you said you love nonfiction. I yes. love nonfiction. So here's the question. Nonfiction YA. There's not a lot of it. Not a ton. Would you write it? Um, that's a really interesting question. You know, um, another YA writer, Mary HK Choi, um, whose new book permanent record is coming out this fall. It's really great. She wrote this awesome piece for Wired a couple of years ago now, I think about teens and technology, kind okay. of how they interact with their cell phones and stuff. Um, it, and like something like that would be interesting to me. But other than that, I don't approach nonfiction as thinking about it as YA. I could right. see myself like being drawn to something that then involved young people, possibly, but but off the bat, no. No. Okay. I was just curious. I've only ever read one YA nonfiction what book. Was it? it was called The 57 Bus. Um, and it's written by Dasha something, put it in the show notes. And it's about um this uh gender non-binary kid in the Bay Area in Oakland, which is where I'm from. Um, and they were attacked kind of as a prank on a bus by this other kid who went to a different school. He was a black kid um, and he lit their skirt on fire. 
And it was kind of like a joke, kind of like, and not necessarily a hate crime, but also, yes, a hate crime. And it became this whole big thing of like, what's going on here? And the kid whose skirt was on fire, Sasha, ended up like, it ends up being this whole thing. They end up being okay. Mm -hmm. And it's a really interesting book. It's about young people, but it's also written for young people. Mm. And it's really, it's, I would barely call it YA, but it is a little YA. But like the thing that's nice about it is it explains a lot. It's like there's a whole section on like pronouns Mm. and like different gender identities and sexual identities and like sexual types of relationships and like what is bisexual versus pansexual versus like, and it's just, it was really interesting and the story is insane and amazing. So all of those things, and it's the only YA nonfiction I've ever read. And I know like that Malala book, there's like a YA version of it. Really? But I don't know a lot of books that are like written written as YA nonfiction. That is, first of all, that book sounds amazing. It's really good. really interesting. Um, But that's such a good point that, you know, because even in my head, I'm thinking like, well, what makes something a nonfiction for YA or not? You know, and these are conversations that we have all the time about YA and what it is and isn't. But, But that's such a good point that I guess it would be more like teach teachable, quote unquote teachable. You know, I really hate that word. But, and I guess that's why I don't think about it that way because I've been reading nonfiction since I was a kid. Right, me too. And I am also, I mean, we're probably the same in so many ways, but in my head, I'm also like, I want to be seen as smart. So when books are in any way talking down to me, I have zero patience for it. Right. And that would be my fear of writing a nonfiction book for, quote unquote, for YA would be like, I don't want it to be like, this is to be taught in schools or something like that. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, no, I totally feel that. It's just, I, maybe that's why there isn't so much YA nonfiction also, because it's like, you could just pick up the nonfiction nonfiction. Right. Cause I think nonfiction and, and we can talk about those different genres. Cause in some ways, YA fantasy, I feel this, this way where it's like fantasy books for kids and for adults are pretty darn similar. Right. You know, there's some, there's some differences for sure, but with nonfiction, I just kind of feel like that's a age-free category. Pick it whenever, right. as soon as you're interested in nonfiction. You know, that being said, for five years old, you want something different, so, right? Of so course, I but totally that's different. It, that's but... like, who is Michelle Obama, or right. like, where is the North Pole? Like, those oh, looks I, are different. I love those books. Those looks are amazing. They are. Um, okay, so then define for me what makes a book YA then to you, because yeah. I have the same thing where I'm like, I felt like I was reading adult books when I was a teenager or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, like, I know that I read some YA books, I guess. Like, I read Ender's Game. Right. But, like, I don't I, – I never have considered myself a YA reader except for, like, I've read Hunger Games and I loved it. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's not – but I read that as an adult. So, like, I'm just right. curious what, what do you think makes something YA versus not? Well, it's a, it's a, a fluid thing and it's a conversation that we in YA have a lot. And because it's so nebulous and kind of hard to pin down – to some extent, it's that um, Supreme Court nonsense of you know it when you read it. Right. Like there, sure. there's some element of like tone, voice, you know, you you have read Tell Me Everything. So you know that there is like my voice naturally is is younger. Like it, okay. it is a little bit, I don't know, you know, pop culture references. It's um, upbeat. It kind of skips along in a way that just feels younger mm-hmm. and um, – so I, so that's part of it, but the other, there are other elements too about, um, to be honest, the theory that has come up recently in my brain that I'm kind of mulling over is like level of emotional connection to the subject. So a friend of mine was reading about young men during world war one and she was reading like 
books written by young men serving in World War One, the poems they wrote in the trenches, all this stuff, which is like, you know, devastating and fascinating mm-hmm. and beautiful. And she was like, well, this book that I'm writing about World War One could be YA. And I was like, I don't know. I don't. And I'm again, you can see I'm like, yeah. I'm like articulating it and working through this thing. But I was like, I don't know. I think for YA, it's like The Hunger Games is about Katniss. Mm-hmm. You know, you're so in her mm-hmm. mind and you're it's about her emotional space and about her falling in love or not falling in love, even while all of this is going on. And to some extent, adult books are a little bit more step back and contextualized and like a person understanding the world and moving through the world with more experience. Right. A little bit. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just, I'm thinking I went to, um, LA book festival this year and I went into one of the YA panels Mm -hmm. and they were talking about also how like there's like their editors often are like, take all this out. Mm. Like you're getting in the way of the story. Mm. And so I do think that that's also like part of YA, like more structurally, less like less theoretically, but more like what is the thing? It's less descriptive. It's less like inner monologue. There's a lot more conversation. Whereas like if you pick up a book for adults, I guess, I don't know, we don't call it just a book. Right. <laughs> right yes. But if you pick up that, it's like they could spend eight hours on the library. Whereas I feel like in YA, it's like they get the library in a paragraph or two. Like you've got to like figure it out. Yeah. This is what I think makes YA and screenwriting actually Similar. a little bit more in step Yeah, is that, uh, yeah, our editors are like, we, it, if it's in the book, it needs to be there for a reason. There's a lot of like interrogation about what you're trying to do, what's there. And there's, and I think in adult fiction editors give a lot of leeway and it's a lot of like, you're the artist, you're whatever. And YA is a lot more like write a book a year and make sure it moves, you know? So it's interesting because I'm interested in writing screenplays too. And I feel like I'm well served by coming from that background. Totally. Cause you're creating a story with not as many words. Yeah. Pare it down. Make sure you can defend everything that's in there and that you really know it basically everything in a YA book has to do like 10 jobs at the same time. Right. And that's very true in screenwriting. Right. Okay. Let's talk about your book a little bit. I don't, yeah. I'm like so interested in talking about the ideas behind YA that I'm like, let me not forget to talk about, tell me everything. Why don't you give us like a 30 second kind of rundown of what the book is? Absolutely. Yeah. Tell me everything is a book about a 15 year old girl named Ivy. Ivy gets really obsessed. Um, she's a photographer and a visual artist, but she's way too shy to share her work with anyone with almost anyone. She gets really obsessed with an app that kind of takes off at her school called Veil that allows people to share um, often visual but poems and stuff like that too anonymously. So she gets really, really obsessed with the kind of artwork that people are sharing and wants to meet these people and tell them about how much their work means to her and she wants to do nice things for them. But it turns out when someone posts anonymously – they want to stay anonymous. So she crosses a lot of boundaries and including with her best friend who she may or may not be completely falling in love with. So that's Harold. Yeah. Harold. Uh, oh, I love, I love Harold. <laughs> I loved all the characters. I Good. was like, really, I just, there's like some really great, like the teacher, Miss H and like, I really liked Nate, the like handsome jock, my, totally my type. Yay. Um, <laughs> how do you name your characters? Oh, that's a good question. Um, a lot of characters in this book are just blatantly like my friends' names. Just <laughs> love it. Throwing it all into a hat kind of and picking out uh, words at, at random or names at random. But um, I, I'm actually not very precious about names. Okay. I, I will kind of like be in the moment writing something and then let 
a name just kind of fall out of the sky. And if it feels right, then I go for it. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. So in the book, you're dealing with like some age old issues of like, you know, identity and Mm -hmm. like sexuality and putting yourself out there and that sort of stuff. But then you're also kind of dealing with like a very specific thing, which is like teenagers and social media and like what, what your online personality persona means to your real life. Why was it important for you to kind of go there? Because we're older than that. We are older than that. Like that's not really uh, our life anymore. No. And nor was it when we were kids, right? right? Like we didn't have to enter this minefield of Facebook when you're 13 or, or whatever, which is like, which really actually like tugs at my heart. Like as a full grown adult, I have so many issues. I have so many um, self-care needs surrounding social media and my use of it and my degree to which I allow it to intrude on my life and my time and my energy. Right. And I cannot imagine having been so young and dealing with all that at the same time. It's really, it's really challenging. So I do sort of, it's comes out of an effort to put myself in that position and to really consider what it would be like to be, especially a young artist who is right. so sensitive to the world and right. wants to share their work and their love with the world, but like getting knocked down about your work when you're 16, like, Ooh, you know, like cuts you to your core and for it to be done by strangers on the internet, like, Holy cow. So I don't know. I'm fascinated, fascinated with technology, but I'm really, I would say in my general life, I'm an optimist when Mm -hmm. it comes to technology in Silicon Valley, I am a fatalist. I am a total, (laughs) like, Oh, we're all going to die. Robots are going to kill us all. No one in Silicon Valley knows what they're doing or is thinking about consequences. So I'm obsessed (laughs) with consuming articles about that. I love I love the TV show, Silicon Valley. Um, I really like obsessively kind of look like I'm peering in from the outside and being like, you're all crazy and you're going to kill all of us. But so that's a lot of like my anxiety is all over this book. But like, what does it mean? Are the, in this book there, the villain of this book is a man named Rake Bermkazerg who created the app Vale. That's an anagram of Mark Zuckerberg, oh. and he is sort of the outlet for all of my anxiety about the fact that people that are creating these systems may not be ready to take accountability for it, right. may not have considered how their um, creations could be used for ill. Right. Uh, I put all of that kind of into him. It's so interesting that you say that he's the villain of the book, because I heard you say that on another interview, and I was like, oh... I guess he is. I don't, I don't really think of him as being the villain. I kind of just think of him as like existing, but I guess like that's the same as Mark Zuckerberg. Like Mark Zuckerberg doesn't really factor into my thinking about social media necessarily unless like something happens and then he kind of like pops up. Right. So it's interesting that you said that. And then he's sitting in front of Congress and you're like, that's the guy. You're like this guy. A billion. I just rewatched the social network recently and was like, so I'm like right at that age where I went to NYU. So I was like the first group of people to have Facebook after like Harvard. Mm -hmm. Like we were like that first, there was like 10 colleges or Mm -hmm. whatever. And so I, Facebook has been in my life now for like, I think, I think I just had my 15 year anniversary or something crazy, which for most people is like, you probably had Facebook like 
maybe like 10 years Mm -hmm. or like if you're younger, you know, like maybe you've had it for eight years or something, mm-hmm. but like, I feel like I've watched the whole Facebook thing. And as it shows you, like, these are your posts from 15 years ago, like there were no status updates. There was no pictures. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so different to see how these things grow and change. I was thinking to myself reading the book, I'm like, I wonder what veil would be in 10 years. Like, oh, you know, so interesting, like how it would work and like how people would interact with it. And if they would, and like, cause the anonymous part of it, I feel like as I think about how social media is now mm-hmm. feels like no one would do it. Oh, that's interesting. Part, because so much of social media is like, how can I get people to my SoundCloud page? And like, I want credit for this. And I want to parlay this into a job at BuzzFeed mm-hmm, and like all mm-hmm. of that. So I wonder if it would stay like for younger kids who weren't necessarily trying to build their brand yet. Well, that's you, you completely, that's so fascinating. <laughs> you really picked up on a lot of the, of the kind of, I don't know what the word for it is, but when I was creating this app for this book, right, I, I guess you can kind of see in there that I was like, if I was going to create an app, what would it be? And it's anonymous. It's hyper local. So um, on Vale, the app in this book, you can only see things that are posted from people within five miles of you at any given time. Right. Um, so it was really me kind of creating a social media system that would try to undo or subvert what is exactly what you're saying. Most things are like, yeah, how can I become right. a name? I want to be known for this. I want, you know, all these followers or whatever. And, and veil is also, you can't comment on anyone's thing. You can't like or dislike, or I guess there is a system of that. But, but it erases after a week or at the end of the week. That's right. That's the other important part about veil at the ads on, on Sunday night, the entire feed is eliminated and it starts all over again. And that was really purposeful. Um, because of the things you just said, like, I was like, if this system created, I would want to be a part of it. And I would want to share goofy, weird things, uh, you know, middle of the night thoughts or drawings or something. And I think a lot of other people would too, because it eliminates a lot of what we now have come to be annoyed by social media, right? It's like self-promotion and this sense of like skipping along the surface and only reading a headline and all that stuff. Like veil is sort of the anti that. Yeah. Um, But even that, is still right has its challenges and it gets all mucked up and and then there's conflict and resolution yes. and all that stuff. Um, I do want to ask you about Harold. So mm. I did not pick up that Harold was black. Okay. But I heard you say that in an interview. Yeah. So I'm curious why it kind of wasn't really like explicitly talked about because these kids are like. They're going into their sophomore year. They're in their sophomore year. Harold's like super overachievery. He's like really already planning for college, which I'm like, Harold, my guy. I know. But I feel like I, I just am curious why like it was more not as overt. Well, I, I to be honest, that feedback is really useful to me because oh. <laughs> he he is he is black, and that was always really clear to me. That was always always his character. Um, uh, that was always Harold, and. His arc is that he he goes to what quote unquote smarty pants camp right as a sophomore and you know just I think was kind of chugging right along feeling great about himself and then he went and saw all these basically national merit scholars and was like oh crap right. I'm behind and I don't even know right. it which I think is what happens to a lot of kids now because um, everyone's comparing themselves nationally and not just within their high school and he then gets all this anxiety about wanting to prove himself and get into a good school and all that stuff and to me. I was thinking about it, and and I'm a white, a white woman for listeners, so I was trying to explore through him the phenomenon that happens with black families of having to do twice the work to get half as far. It right. is something I've heard many friends talk about right. and experience. 
So to me, that was his struggle. And that's what I was sort of trying to express through Harold's arc. And it is, I'm, I'm really bummed that I wasn't more explicit <laughs> about it. So if I could go back and do it, I would make way more explicit references. I would be so much more clear. It also was not Harold's story. Right. So to some degree, uh, you know, I, you know, I did make a reference to his skin color being dark, but it was obviously not clear enough. Right. Um, but, but yeah. So anyway, if I could go back, I would do it better for sure. But that was always to me a huge central thing in his life. And right. also being a young black man in Silicon Valley or Silicon Valley adjacent. Right. Um, you know, there's not a lot of other, there's not a lot of black kids there. Right. So, uh, he was definitely in my mind, I imagined him dealing with that and thinking about it all the time. And it's part of why in the book, Harold also is on the vanguard of standing up for LGBTQ students. Right. Well that, yeah. I mean, I like hearing that he was black, I was like, oh, this makes sense. But for me, I was like, I wasn't, I do remember the dark skin thing. And I was like, I'm not sure. And then I also thought, well, like maybe in YA, there's like a move towards not expressly saying what anybody is. So I wasn't sure if that was like part of it too. Cause I know yeah. like, you know, a lot of YA things get turned into movies or whatever. And then it's like, people freak out about the casting. If Harold's like, gotta be black. And then they cast like a light skinned black guy. Or like if Carol, if Harold has dark skin and then they cast Harry Styles, like, you know what I mean? Right. So I wasn't sure if there was like a more like clear YA based reason or I, I don't know. Just Yeah, no. And you're bringing up really, really interesting points, which that is true that, you know, I mean, God, if you're, I think, YA is a little bit ahead of Hollywood. I hope yeah, the YA I think is so. ahead. And so when things are turned into TVs, TV shows and movies, there's a lot of um, consternation from the reading community, as there should be, about making sure that the books are as diverse, uh, the, the TV shows and the movies are as diverse as the books are. Right. Because now YA is a very diverse space and it's becoming increasingly so. Um, so I definitely wasn't thinking about that. It really was a misunderstanding of how it was going to be read, to be honest. Also, my mom and a lot of other readers thought that Harold was uh, Indian American. That's what I thought too, possibly. Yeah. And also that's, you know, Silicon Valley. That makes sense. Right. Um, so no, I think I'm, I'm happy to talk about this because I yeah. really think that there's a lot of value in hearing authors be like, well, that's one of the things I would definitely change. That's so interesting. Yeah. Most authors don't say that. So well, good on you for saying that. I appreciate it. I think that's super interesting. Um, I want to talk about the podcast. Oh my God. I'm like, feel like there's like a million things I want to talk to you about. Yeah. Okay. So your podcast is called First Draft. You talk to storytellers, mostly authors, but yeah. some other people. You've had some other podcasters on. Um, I was I was going through your catalog and you had DC Pearson on and yeah. I know him from NYU. He was a senior when I was a freshman, but I don't know him, but I know him. His good friend who was in the comedy troupe with him dated my friend. So like he would never remember me, but I saw his name and I was like, I know him. And then I was like, I didn't know he wrote like books and all this stuff. I had no idea. Yeah, that's interesting. That was really fun. So I really liked that episode. Yeah. Um, but... How did you kind of come to the show? Why, why storytellers? Like, yeah. who, what, where, when, why? Yeah, yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, so the show started in 2014. So 2014 was like a real year. Okay. Um, and it started with, um, in like the springtime, I wrote a book that went really far in the like selling a book process. Ooh. It went to acquisitions, which is the step before you actually sign a contract for your book to be sold. So an editor wanted to buy it, but at the acquisitions meeting, the publisher said no. So it was a really emotional, disruptive, mm. sad moment for me. And I'd been writing at that point for about five years. And then a month after that, my husband and I started to split up. Oh. So 
a lot happened at the same time. Uh, and we were in DC then. And I was like, okay, I don't want to be on the East coast anymore. I've done my, my, you know, I was happy to be there for six years, but I was like, I really want to go back home. All my family's on the West coast, but I don't know where I want to live exactly. And I also need to do some kind of like divorce thing. So, and at the time I was also not happy with my day job okay. and was like, ah, you know, my dream job still forever will be, uh, being an NPR reporter. Oh I just want to be Nina Totenberg, you know? <laughs> um, so basically I was like, you know, and I loved podcasts. I loved Mark Marin. I love, uh, Pete Holmes has a great podcast. It's just like long interviews and fresh air with Terry Gross. Mm-hmm. So I was really into all these long form interview podcasts. So all those elements combined to this moment where I was like, I'm going to take a road trip because I'm moving into my mom's house in Seattle. I'm going to take a long road trip across the country. I'm going to buy a bunch of audio equipment and figure out how that works. And I also could really use some inspiration. Why am I still writing? What does it mean? How do I keep going? How have other people dealt with this? I wanted to have these sort of like heart to heart conversations with friends. And I was like, why not? You know, I think my friends are just as interesting as comedians. So why not have a podcast about us and what we're trying to do? So that's the story. I reached out to every person I'd ever had a good interaction with, um, many of them on Twitter. So this is part of the tug, the push pull about social media. Like I made all this possible. But so I, I recorded over the course of two months and 6,600 miles traveled, I recorded like 45 interviews and just started the podcast that summer. So you like go everywhere to interview people. I, to date, every single interview I've done has been in person, okay. um, sitting across the table from someone like this, which right. I think makes the conversation so much better. way better. So yeah. that's a huge focus for me. Now, I obviously don't road trip as much anymore, but when people come to town, yeah. I meet up with them. And then I still travel for book conferences, so I try to do people them when you're on the too. road. Yeah. We have to talk about this off air. Yeah. Nobody cares about this part. But um, <laughs> okay, if people want to get like the quintessential first draft mm. episode, like what's a good place to start? Because you have like two. 200 plus. Yeah. And there, none of them are time sensitive. Like no, it's not it's, like you guys are talking about like current events. It's true. It's true. So if people wanted to start somewhere, where would you suggest? Um, that's such a great question. And I do, I should have more of a ready answer because I get asked it fairly often. Um, I never have an answer for this question. It de- I'm always like, I don't know. Right. They're it's all like, great. I know. <laughs> I'm perfect. I'm an amazing show. They're all great. <laughs> Leave me alone. I know. I'm like, well, and partly what colors this answer is that I love the old, old episodes, but the audio on them is tough. Mm. I find it difficult to recommend when now it's much better. Right. So that's a part of it. But so recent really fun, big episodes, uh, include Sarah Dessen. Mm -hmm. I talked to her, um, in the winter time. That was a really great one. Um, older episodes that are really great are Libba Bray. Um, she was a two-parter, but she was just like, she's someone that inspires me so much. And I really love talking to her. Um, I love every episode with Maureen Gu, who is a personal friend of mine. She's so fucking, she's so funny. We can swear. swear, swear. Um, and, uh, uh, and Veronica Roth, you know, I love, I love talking to her. Uh, Samaya Dude. I'm now I'm just yeah. naming. Okay, they're all good. They're I started with Nick Stone, and I really like that yeah, one. Yeah, Nick that was fun. Nick is so fun to talk to. She's really like so energetic. Mm-hmm. And there's some that I haven't gone to yet that I've like downloaded. I'm very excited about. Yeah. Um, and I listened to the Martian guy. Oh, uh, Andy Weir. That was yeah. live. That was live. That was that cool. Was, excuse me. That was a really interesting event. Um, New York Comic Con asked me to come um, ask him questions, and I was so happy to because I loved. I love that I got to talk to um, someone writing adult books, mm-hmm. and I love getting to talk to someone that was writing the hardest sci-fi possible because I usually right. don't read those kinds of books. Yeah. So it was fun to, to stretch that way and to do a live show was cool. 
Yeah. That's um, awesome. And like, I, as you mentioned, like this year, 2019 was a big thing for me to expand and to like, I want to talk to other podcasters about how you structure story within this medium. Right. I want to talk to musicians, Rhett, um, Rhett Miller, the lead singer of old 97s is someone I got to talk to okay. recently. He was, he was such a good episode. Johnny Sun, who is a, a writer, but also an illustrator. It was so fun to talk to him. John Klassen. Uh, like, yeah. so, so I'm, I am really focused and you spoke to Tawny Newsom recently. I did. I love her. Yes. I want to talk about oh acting God. as Tawny is amazing. You yeah. have to I connect you guys. Tawny is like amazing. And she was like, she's one of the favorite episodes for sure. Uh, people always say that they loved Tawny. I loved how much she was talking about travel writing. I, yeah. I was really, yeah, I loved she's it. She's so smart. Oh my God. I met her through teaching spin. Yay. She she was one of my writers, I and that. I was at a podcasting podcasters for color event somewhere. And she walks in. I'm like, "You have a podcast?" She's like, "Yes." Her podcast <laughs> is like a serious big deal. She's like, "I do," and she's like, "Do you have a podcast?" And I was like, "I also do," but I'm yeah. way embarrassed now that you've told me the name of your podcast. Like, so it was very funny to like connect totally outside, and now she's like my pal. Yes. Um, is the show what you thought? it would be when you started it? Like, is this what you had envisioned for yourself or did you, has it grown out of control or? <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, um, that is such an interesting question. I had no idea mm. what it was going to be. I really don't think I put too much on myself, but also that's, uh, I'm not the best forward thinker, I wouldn't say. I'm very, a little <laughs> bit in the moment sometimes. Um, so I guess I had – it's been five years now and the show is like still not making me any money. So right. I'd like to work on that. Yes, uh, of So course. that's something me I'm too. working on now. Yeah, right? That's like the forever <laughs> thing with a DIY project of love kind of thing. But I actually – I think it's way bigger. I think it's way bigger than I would have thought. And also I'm five years in and I'm still enjoying it. Yeah. I don't know if I ever could have foreseen that. Yeah. So – I also am like, gosh, this medium I like so much. I think maybe I want to look at other ways to explore podcasts or, or storytelling through podcasts or stuff like that. So, so I don't think I expected it to be, and, and it also saves my sanity. Mm -hmm. Like writing books is like, you know, years long. Right. It's oh, all, you know, right. the, and like, even, you know, talking about script writing, any of that stuff that I want to do for a job is like, really tough, but the podcast is a whole different part of my brain. It happens every week. I control every part of it. So that's been like a total lifesaver. Right. That's awesome. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. 
If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one size fits all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. Grab your copy of the Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Okay. We're going to shift gears a little bit. Um, so we do this thing on the show called Ask the Stacks where people send in an email for a book recommendation. Ooh. I haven't told you about this at all. So surprise. I'm ready. Um, and this one was really out of my wheelhouse. We'll see how you do. It's from Michelle P. And this is all Michelle said to us. Okay. I like thrillers, detective and crime dramas, especially anything that's a series. And then she gave us a few books, series that she likes. So she likes Dean Koontz, the Jane Hawk series. She likes James Patterson, Women's Murder Club. She likes Kate White, Bailey Wagon series. I literally didn't know any of those things. I've yeah. heard of some of the authors. I, Michelle, I'm so sorry that you sent this to me because I just don't know. But here, these are like the three thrillers I know about. One is Tana French. Yes. She does like a whole series. I read In the Woods. I always want to call it Into the Woods, but that's a musical. It's different. It's In the Woods is what <laughs> she wrote. And I read it and I think that I liked it because I remember it, but I read it years ago and I've never read any of the other books, but people love her. So Tana French. There's a new book that came out called The Chain by Adrian McKinty. And I haven't read it yet. I have it. And I actually really want to read it. It's about like kidnapping families that like kidnap kids and like to get your kid back you have to like kidnap another kid or something and apparently it's like thrillery but also like pretty corny like enjoyable thrillery so Ooh. I'm kind of interested in that because I feel like I might think that was fun and not too scary it's interesting and then the other one which I haven't read but I've seen the movie is Mystic River mm. by Dennis Lehane I've heard it's amazing I've heard it's like fantastic writing I don't think it's part of a series but I know he's written a lot of other books so those are my suggestions they're not necessarily what you asked for, but they're not necessarily not what you asked for. I think those are great. <laughs> the, the first thing that came to mind was Tana French for okay. me as well. Yeah. So I think that's, I can definitely second that recommendation. Um, and I like to think of a lot of um, lady writers in this category. I think there's actually been a ton 
of women writing smart, awesome, thrillery stuff lately. Okay. Um, obviously, Gillian Flynn comes to mind. Right. I'm sure that um, I had that, and then I was like, "Is that too obvious? Is that too obvious?" <laughs> but but it stands, Michelle. Right. If you haven't read it, yeah. you really should. Um, I especially liked Gone Girl. I know other people like Sharp Objects better, but I really liked Gone I liked Girl. Gone Girl. Yeah, I'm like maybe it makes you basic, but yeah. it's really good. Um, uh, Station Eleven. Okay, I love that mind. book. Did you think that was thrillery? I haven't read it. Oh, it's so good. It's not thrillery though. It's like a apo- it's like literary apocalypse. It's okay. amazing. Though. Okay. She has a new book coming. Ooh. Emily St. John Mandel, I think is her name. What a name. I love that. Yeah. What is that series that was called the um the something ladies detective agency that was made into a TV show? I don't know. It sounds it. like it's in that wheelhouse. And I do know that my mom was obsessed with the TV show. Okay. I'll try to find it and put it in the show notes. I know there. And you know what? I will, for, I'll just speak to some YA that she could check okay. out if she wants is uh, there's an author named Kara Thomas who wrote a book called the cheerleaders and, and forgive me, Kara, I'm, I'm missing the name of your other book, but Kara writes thrillers and they're smart and really good. Okay. Um, the cheerleaders is about that phenomenon that happened in upstate New York. You might've heard about this back in the day. It was like a case of mass hysteria where a bunch of cheerleaders went, they sort of had, um, what's that sim- syndrome where you kind of can't control your speaking. Um, Tourette? Yeah. Oh they gosh. kind of fell ill with this, like it basically it's, fascinating. So okay. this group of cheerleaders just kind of lost their minds collectively. And her book is about that and murder and all that fun stuff. Oh my God. Amazing. Yes. Yeah, so that I can definitely recommend. Okay. Those are recommendations, Michelle. If you read anything, please let us know. And if you guys want your recommendations right on the air, go email us at askingthestacks at gmail.com. I love that you do that. That's fun. It's fun. Yeah. I just started doing it a little bit ago, but I think it's really fun. And I like to surprise the guests and see what yeah. they come up with. Um, okay. So now we're going to transition to the Sacks questionnaire and Yay. questions for you. So we always start with two books you you love and one book you hate man this was the these questions are always hard right i like know favorite books and i have to i i um i brought my listener i brought my All little papers. right written up answers because i was so nervous about forgetting titles and i will say we are recording this during leo season so the first book i wrote was tell me everything by sarah any oh amazing <laughs> you're like, a leo yeah well, me too. i'm not a leo oh. although like almost all of my friends are leos there you go. So what are I'm, you i'm a gemini Oh, interesting. I know. Gemini, Leo, I feel like is not... Not always. Not always. A, like, I wouldn't think that you would have lots of Leo friends. But I'm a Taurus moon and a Sagittarius oh, rising. My so. husband is a Taurus. I love all Tauruses. So that must be it. I hate that I love all Tauruses. <laughs> I all, I'm constantly falling in love with Tauruses. Oh, they're, so they're, they're, um, <laughs> they're not ideal for Gemini. Got it, like, got it. Got it. But that's okay. Um, obviously, I love them. Um, so anyway, I was like, I'll just say my book because I want to... I want to encourage people to remember that they love their own work. So yeah, I wanted to throw that out good. But besides my book, okay. I, I have two titles that I think will give you a sense of like the range of books that I kind of really love. I said The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien okay. and The History of Love by Nicole Krause. Mm. Which is, have you read that one? I have not, but you're like maybe the fifth person to include that in one of your two books you love. Uh, it was it was phenomenal. It was – it's just – she's a poet and you can tell when you read it. Yeah. And, like, and I am – my writing style isn't that way. Mm-hmm. So whenever I see someone and Catherine Valente is also this way, you read their books and you're like, you, it's just the structure, the, you know, sentences that stop you in your tracks and you have to reread them in the moment. Like, ah, I, you know, mm. when you find a book like that, you really sink into it. And Nicole yeah. Krause's first book, The History of Love was a sign for me in college. And I just remember laying in bed and reading it and then going back to the first page and reading it again. And I mm. never do that. 
I love that. Yeah. I should have asked you this before. We're going to pause on the book you hate. Do you have any author that is on your dream interview list? Oh, so many. I mean, Catherine Valente and Nicole Krauss would definitely be on our okay. list. <laughs> Tolkien would if he was alive. Right. Um, I actually, I have a, I have a ton. Uh, John Ronson. My okay. God, I would love to talk to okay. him. That I want to read. I have, I read, uh, I've read Psychopath Test, but I want to read Publicly Shamed. Oh yeah, you definitely should. You I should want, also. Read, I want to do that on the show. I'm saving yeah. it for someone to pick it one day. Ooh, <laughs> you should also read them. Okay. Uh, Adventures with Extremists is okay. fascinating. Oh my God, that um, sounds like me. Yeah, and actually, the Psychopath Test will come up later. Spoiler. Okay. Oh my gosh, other dream guests. I got to. Oh, N.K. Jemison. Mm. Are you kidding? I would. I would, that would be a difficult interview because I'd have to keep my cool. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, so that she comes to mind because I, I was lucky enough to moderate a panel that she was on at uh, BookCon in May. And I really had to like, be like, Sarah, get your professional game face oh on. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. Book you hate. I hated A Little Life. <gasps> Interesting. Talk about why. uh, By Hanya Nagagihara. And I I apologize. I probably didn't say that very well. But I want to give her a shout out because she did write a beautiful book. She wrote a beautiful book. I, it's difficult for me to express how upset that book made me. Go on. Try. It was, was, first of all, I found it interesting and odd that this woman of color wrote about four, I believe, they're not all white, the four mm-hmm. main characters, but they are extremely wealthy. Yes. If not at the outset, they become wealthy and yes. so that sort of gets like tossed aside. So, right. so class is sort of immediately dismissed as an issue. And it ended up, I guess I'll say, and I, I guess I don't want to spoil this book, but I don't know. It doesn't matter. But the, I didn't find the sexual trauma explored in that book. I, I was like, why? Right. It went so far. Right. And it was so graphic right. and extended. I mean, yeah. I, like, you know, honestly, for any reader that's looking into that book, like you really should know before you start reading it because it would be very upsetting um, if that reading that kind of stuff was upsetting to you because it was really intense. And yeah. I, three quarters through the book, I spoiled myself for it. I never do this. I went online and was like, I have to know what happens in this book because I have to to believe that this is worth it. And when I read the ending, I set my laptop down and then picked up the book to throw it against a wall. I was like, I cannot believe that that's how this book freaking ends. Wow. Okay. So I read the book, read it in a week. I read it very quickly. Everyone told me it was really sad and I was going to cry. And I was like, I don't cry. I, this is not who I am. This is not my brand. I get, there's a part of the book that's called like the happy years. And I text my friend, I go, well, here's the thing. I know these years couldn't possibly be happy. Uh, mm-hmm, and he's like, cause that's he's, not this thing. He's like, where are you? I'm like, I don't know about the start of the happy years. I know it's a lie. I appreciate the writing. I really appreciate the writing and I appreciate the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, like she wrote the shit out of captivating. this book. Oh yeah. Totally captivating. And you can't were the, put it down. Literally everyone that's that they couldn't put it down. Yeah. Whether you loved it or hate it, you read it in a week. Yeah, I read it in a week. I was in Thailand with my best girlfriend. I kicked her out of our room so I could take a bath and cry because of course I started crying towards the end. Of course. But my big gripe with the book is that it's touted as like this like gay novel. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not gay. I'm heterosexual. I'm a woman. It's not really about me. But I do find it a little strange that the great American gay novel is about two men who neither of them admit to being gay. Right. Like, I think that's weird. Right. And I don't know that that's necessarily like 
fair to people who are proud and out. Like I like I think if the great American black novel was written about people who were passing as white, I would be like, wait, what the fuck? This is not this is not the black experience right? necessarily. And like of course I'm not saying it's not an experience, but the idea that like this book is being touted as that is weird to me. Yes. I and I, it felt like a lot of pain for pain's sake. That's, that's, you just summed it up really well. Pain for pain's sake is how I ended up feeling about what was expressed in that book. And, and I, and I couldn't agree more. I really do. Like I know Anthony on Queer Eye is like obsessed with the book and wears t-shirts and, and loves it so much. And and I know that a lot of gay men really feel strongly about that book. And of course they should feel strongly about whatever they want. But, but I agree with you. I'm like, man, to me, all that says is we need more great gay books right. because I because it was so, so riddled all the way through with such terrible, sad, awful, you know what I mean? Like right. I, I was like, I want to, oh, it was, yeah. it was so difficult to read and I didn't feel like, and this, this is something that I've discovered about myself as a reader. I wasn't able to say, I know why you're putting the reader through this, me as the reader through right. this. I I need to get the sense that an author has a purpose mm-hmm. and that I'm reading it. And, and like, I'm like, oh, this is like what they're trying to express or what they're working through or what they're, you know. And with this book, I was like, I'm, I'm just not getting that. It seems like you just want me to feel so sad. Right. And that's it. And it worked. Uh, it definitely, <laughs> definitely was, I mean, it was emotionally wrecking. Yeah. It's, de- Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad we got to talk about it. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. I'm like, no hate on anyone that likes that book. It was recommended to me by a ton of friends, but I love talking about how much I hate it because yeah, it's, it's a great true. conversation. It's totally starter. a good one to hate. Um, <laughs> what's the last really great book you read? Man, I, this is an interesting one because it made me think about what does it mean when I, like, what does a great book mean to me? I feel mm-hmm. like to me, it's when you put a book down and you're like, sort of stunned mm-hmm. for a while after you, you finished it, you know? And the one that that came to mind when I was looking back through my list of books was um, We Are Okay by Nina LaCour. Mm, I don't know that. It's uh, it's a YA book and it's like a gothic, like a modern gothic kind of book. Um, and it won the... Um, it won the, the Michael L. Prince Award, which is um, the highest honor for a YA book every okay. year, uh, that the ALA Awards, and and it, rightfully so. It was like hmm. stunningly beautiful. I really recommend it to people. It's very quiet. It's really like a meditation. It was uh, just like made me feel <laughs> all the things. And the other book that came to mind was H is for Hawk by Helen McDonald. Okay. This book is fascinating. It's a mix of She's a scholar, a British scholar who was studying T.H. White. So it's a mix of talking about T.H. White's The Once and Future King, talking about T.H. White's actual life as a repressed uh, in the closet gay man, and talking about her life, not only in having just lost her father suddenly, but in learning to hawk. Wow. So it's a really weird book. There's a lot going on, but she is a masterful writer and it was just it was a mix of nonfiction and talking about fiction and it was just it wrapped me up and the writing was exquisite and I knew and now I know a lot about hawking which is <laughs> and really now you're gonna become a hawker <laughs> exactly that's what you call it <laughs> um what are you reading right now right now I am reading this 
massive fantasy novel by Samantha Shannon called okay. The Priory of the Orange Tree. Okay. I've been reading it off and on for the entire year because oh it's so big. It's like you can't <laughs> take it anywhere. Um, but I'm super enjoying it. I'm not often into fantasy stories that have to do with dragons. Okay. But this is a dragon book that is like, I'm on board. I'm into it. You're team dragon. Team You're dragon. very Daenerys in this case. I'm very Daenerys. <laughs> I don't really know what that means. I don't even know Game of Thrones, but I know that she's the you, dragon queen you or something. You used it appropriately. Okay, that is nailed correct. it. Tell my brother. He's going to be so proud of me. Um, let's see. What are books that you're looking forward to reading? Oh, this is such an interesting one. Uh, oh, my gosh. And speaking of George R. R. Martin, I was like, Winds of Winter. Is Whenever, that the next one? That's the one that he's been writing for oh. like 10 years or something. And God knows if we'll ever see it. But but if I have read all those books, so okay. I would be very interested to see mm-hmm. how he ended the story because I was not satisfied with how the TV show ended. Um, also, Veronica Roth, aforementioned Veronica Roth, is coming out with an adult novel called The Chosen Ones. Super excited for that. And literally anything that Catherine Valente writes for the rest of her life. Okay. That's like your ace. Yeah. She's your one. <laughs> um, what's a book that you really like to recommend to people? Oh, this was such an interesting one. First of all, The Passage by Justin Cronin, I recommend a ton. It's, uh, he is an MFA, uh, he's a professor of, what am I trying to say? He teaches people to write. Okay. Uh, uh, at Rice University. And so he has a really beautiful writing style, but The Passage is a, basically, a zombie novel. Okay. So it's a really, and it's like 800 pages and it's just like so well written and juicy. And, and it really, um, is another book that swept me away when I was having a hard time and I was so grateful for it. So I recommend it to a lot of people because it really moves and it's well written and, um, and is zombie book. So who doesn't love that? Um, <laughs> me? Uh, well, you might. <laughs> I don't know. I one. say that I don't like that. And then I feel like I, if it's good, I like it. Yeah. I like a good book. I think if, especially like beach read like you want to bring one book for like traveling or whatever mm-hmm. that's a, a good okay. one i think and then i also um tiny beautiful things by cheryl Strayed. <sighs> we did that on here i mean so good i book, love that book i've sent it to people Me who are too. having really awful times i read it post-divorce on that road trip mm. and it was just like you know crying crying rivers <laughs> i mean she's i and and your one of your questions is about recommending books for kids to read i'm like get make sure everyone in high school reads that book right mm-hmm. just like a lesson in empathy yeah so good have you read tell me more by kelly corrigan no okay it's kind of in the similar vein um she it's a little bit more about grief and she's it's like the 10 things i'm learning to say and like of course like some are like yes and no but some are like tell me more or like I was wrong and like that kind of stuff. But it's kind of – it's a little bit different, but I put them similarly and they both made me feel things and I wept. So if you want to weep. You said you lost your father. I did. I did too. And I was – in 2012 for me and reading this book, I was like – because she loses her father like right away in the book. It's about – she. she's like a writer. She's like an Oprah person, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then she's writing this other book and then her father and like one of her best friends both pass away. So it kind of like changes. And so they are kind of part of the frame of this book. But it's – the real frame is this tell me more thing. And anyways, it's I, really that good. That sounds like it's so 100% good. up my alley. It's so good. Um, okay. Let's see. What's the last really good book that someone recommended to you? Uh, Uprooted by Naomi Novik. I don't Have know. you heard about this? No. I, I know you're not a big fantasy reader. No, but I'm not. This one is a one-off and okay. it's shorter than the typical like massive fantasy right. novel. So I would still recommend it. Okay. Like, also, it is, it's fantasy, but it's kind of... Um, towing the line of like sort of fairy tale feel okay. and also um, women's fiction or romance. Okay. Like it's like juicy, mm. it's sexy, it's ugh. I'm just like it was a book – it was another book where when I – my two friends who live in New York were visiting me and they 
I was like, I can't hang out with you for the next hour because I have to read this book. I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to get out of bed yet. I'll see you guys in an hour. It was, oh I God, was like, I love that. yeah, I was like breaking appointments to read it. You know, it was so good. Um, so, and that was recommended to me by a bunch of people, but I'm trying to think about, oh, and H is for Hawk was recommended okay. to me by my friend, Sandy London, um, Alex London, and also the bear and the nightingale. See, I'm a big fantasy reader, so a lot of these I aren't like as it. applicable to you. No, but. that's okay. They're not for me. They're like <laughs> I feel like my listeners run the gamut, and sometimes I think they get annoyed with me because I'm like, read this intense book about incarceration, and then it's so <laughs> nice to have someone come on and be like, read this YA fantasy book. Yeah. Like, do you want to have a beach? People are like, what should I read on the beach? I'm like, I don't know. Any book you read on the beach is a beach read. Uh, and yes. you're like, read this book about zombies. So it's like, <laughs> perfect. I'm so excited. Oh, good. Plus, I could use some lighter reads sometimes. I know. It's good to mix it up. It really is. I think it, you know, it helps. Um, um, you read a lot because you mm-hmm. read for your show and mm-hmm. you're a reader. Are there things you wish were different about your reading life? Oh my gosh. I both wish that I read faster mm-hmm. and that I read slower. Okay. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine, <laughs> Stephanie Perkins recently. Um, she's another writer and she was talking about a class she took in college called, uh, I think it was just like the art of reading or, mm. or reading like a writer. I think it was. And she was talking about how they, all the stuff you had to do for that class of like reading what you're reading and then taking notes about the sentence structure and why they did that. Mm. It sounded like she, re- you know, now she reads really slowly because she reads that way and she really absorbs and learns from the books that she's reading. And part of me is like, man, I wish I did that. Right. I think I'd probably be a better writer. But at the same time, I want to read everything. everything right? So I wish I, you know, some people really can read a book in a day and I'm like, what a dream. Yeah. It's got to be short. Yeah. I also, <laughs> when I'm reading Sometimes I'll go back and like on Goodreads, they'll have quotes, right? From mm-hmm. the books. And, and I'll be like, that was in that book. Like, I don't remember. I things. never remember things from books. I remember the feeling I had yeah. and characters. Yeah. But I don't, I'm not like, oh, that one line or yeah, something. Yeah. I never remember the line. Do you, how do you read so much? Like, what do you do to make time for reading? Well, I don't sleep very much. Okay. So what, right. what Helpful. <laughs> it's like, so the pattern that has appeared in the last two years, which I need to address is typically if I'm on a real big reading binge, what it means is that I, when I go to sleep, I read this book for a couple hours. Then I wake up three to four hours later, meaning like two or three in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh, well, I guess it's time to read. Like, gee, I can't go back to sleep. I guess it's time to read. And then I read until the sun comes up and then I go back to sleep and wake up. So this is like disordered sleeping. Like this is not a good, but you do most of your reading like in in the night overnight. So it'll, it's kind of like, you know, it's interesting because then people will be like, how do you do all this? And I'm like, well, I guess I do it when everyone's sleeping. Mm. But that does mean I'm not sleeping. Then you're and not it sleeping. It messes me up. So <laughs> that's not great. I got to figure it out. I don't love that for you. I, I agree. I don't love that for you. And then what ends up happening is I'm reading, I'm trying earnestly to read out in the world and my body's like, so we're sleeping now? Yeah. It's bedtime. <laughs> got to go. You're like face plant and your coffee. <laughs> not great. Um, are there books that are, like, are there genres that you avoid? I hear, I've heard you say fantasy that you love. I've heard you say things that you really like. What about stuff that you're like not into? Yeah, this is an, a really, I like, I liked considering this question because I am a really um, wide reader. Mm-hmm. I definitely read widely and that's something that I like am invested in continuing to do. Right. But I guess I would say definitely when it comes to like hard sci-fi, you know, I don't care about math. <laughs> right. You're not into the sciencey part. Not the sciencey part. You're I'm more much character-based, emotional. So I, I don't tend to get too drawn in by really hard sci-fi stuff. Got it. Um, last book that made you laugh? Oh, Red, Right, 
Red, White, and Royal Blue mm, by Sitting Casey right McKiskin. behind you. I haven't read it yet. I just picked it up. Okay. Talk about Beach Read and mixing it up with okay. lighter stuff. Are you doing it for an episode or just <laughs> no. whenever? No. Man, I really dug that book. It okay. is goofy. And my friend Maureen Goo and I are very snobby about comedy. Okay. I don't know why, Okay, but we are. Uh, we consider ourselves to be very funny. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and you had Tawny on. I did, I've done a bunch of improv too. So not that that makes me an expert, but this book made me laugh out loud. Oh, I love that. And genuinely. And that does not happen a ton with books. No. You know, it's hard for a book to make you laugh out loud, but that book cracked me up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What about last book that made you cry? Uh, I, I'm an easy cry. Okay. So I will say that that, given that, um, there was two that really stood out to me. And one is, um, look both ways by Jason Reynolds. Okay. That book is coming out in October okay. and it's in middle grade. I think it's his first middle grade. It's like a series of vignettes. It just is like just heartbreaking mm. and he's such a good writer. And, and it was just little moments in these, you know, short stories are, can be so evocative mm-hmm. and he really used that format to just like pull you in and, make you feel all the, all the things. And then how high the moon by Karen Parsons. So interesting because these are both middle grade and I'm not a big middle grade reader, but I read them for, um, for many reasons, but one of them being that they were on panels that I was doing at BEA and Karen Parsons, uh, you may know her. She was an actress on, um, Fresh Prince. Okay. But now she's like a reading advocate and mm. has this book and it is a historical middle grade fiction novel about a young girl um, in the deep South when it's, it's like the twenties, I think. So it's, you know, deeply segregated. And, um, and it was just like this beautiful family story mm. that just kind of broke my heart and then mended it again. I loved it. Who is she on Fresh Prince? She's a cousin. Is Erica? The, I, I, I looked I'll, it up. I'll put in the show notes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, last book that made you angry. Oh, I read Good and Mad by Rebecca oh, Traster. We did that on the show. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the, but it did make me feel good. Good and mad. Yes. <laughs> Both things. It did. At the end, I felt better. But yeah, that was a real. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, there's a lot in there. What about favorite local bookstore or favorite indie bookstore? Does this have to be local? Yeah. You've well, looked everywhere. I, feel, I was going to say, I feel bad because like we are in LA and LA has fantastic. We have so many good ones. We have a ton of really great ones, but the ones that came to mind for okay. me first were actually ones in, that I enjoyed when I lived in DC. Okay. Politics and prose. Love. Ugh, I was just in DC in May. God. Did yeah. you, and you get to go? I went to politics and prose. Did you go to Kramer books? I did. I'd been there. I did not go that time. Okay. Yeah, that was another one that, I mean, there's a bar in there, yeah. you know, I mean, Politics and Prose has one too, but <clears throat> Kramer Books and Afterwards is such a cool store. And it was, in, DC was an interesting time in my life. I wasn't really digging my day job. So getting to escape to a bookstore mm. meant so much. And yeah. I really loved those. Um, and then through my travels, I also really love Malaprops in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, Book People in Austin is amazing. And Bookshop Santa Cruz in Santa Cruz, California, is one of the best bookstores in the country. I'm obsessed with it. And the last one I will say is this used bookstore called Gold Beach Books in Gold Beach, Oregon. It is in the middle of nowhere. I found it randomly (laughs) on this road trip I was doing. And now I make people go hundreds of miles out of the way so that we can go to that bookstore because for some reason it's magic. And I always find like cool coffee table books Mm. and weird stuff there. I'm obsessed with that store. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Any, you're an English major. So you've read all the books ever written. Yes. Any books that you're embarrassed that you still not read? Oh my God. This was, I was like, 
where do I even start? A <laughs> um, Hundred Years of Solitude okay. by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. I haven't read that book. I picked it up 9,000 times and I've gotten to page maybe 10, 9,000 times. Right? I can't get into I it. I don't know. I don't know. I, I I wish I could download it into my brain. I'm, yeah. I'm For some reason, I'm – but yeah, I'm embarrassed I haven't read that. And more Dostoevsky, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right? I'm yeah. Like, I don't know. What about a favorite book assigned to you in school? Uh, Their Eyes Are Watching God. Oh, right. You yeah, said that. That was – I loved it. It was it was another one where I finished it and then I was like, oh, I think I want to read that again. And I just mm. picked it right back up. It was and that did not happen in high school. You know, right. we, who had time to be reading no. more than more than for? I didn't even read it in high school. I would like read parts, but like, I don't like this. Really? I mean, some of the books I read and I liked, but most of them I didn't. I yeah. Didn't. Uh, but I have gone back and reread books that I was supposed to read in high school and enjoyed them more. Well, one of them I talk about a lot on the show was thought about it, the autobiography of Malcolm X for mm. an African American history class. I was like, I don't want to read this. This is huge. And like the beginning's kind of slow, especially if you're 17. And then I read it at like 22 and I was like, this is only the greatest book ever written. Like, what? <laughs> Someone assigned this to me in high school? Like, are you right. kidding? This book's amazing. Yeah. So that was one. Um, I went back, I guess, I can't remember if I went back and read The Great Gatsby or if I actually read it in high school, but I know mm. that I've read it. I don't remember much. Um, what would you assign if you were a high school teacher? Okay. This was a um, interesting one because, like we said, Cheryl Strayed. Mm. I just felt like I—I I don't know if you felt like this. I felt very personally attacked <laughs> by the advice columns in like Cosmopolitan sure. magazine. Yes, or like why you know YM or right. whatever those magazines. And I were think all they've reading. changed. I think they're different now. But yes. But I, and I think we're around the same age. Yeah. I graduated high school in 03. 04. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I also had Facebook way yeah. back. Um, <laughs> but that time frame was rough. And these, yeah. and those, those uh, almost like Dear Abby type of things for teenage girls were really like interventionist. It was like, you have to tell your girlfriend that her boyfriend is bad for her. Yeah. It was like so much so much latent misogyny yeah. and self-hate and self-loathing. So Cheryl Strayed, the fact that that was structured like an advice column mm -hmm. and that she, it was so radically different mm. was really healing yeah. to me. And that's what made me think about it in the context of high school. It's like mm -hmm. if, if, you know, it's advice, give or take. Um, but I feel like that is a good thing for young people to be exposed to. And then I also said The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas mm. um, because YA is – you know, I'm so happy that YA exists now for kids that are in high right. school because it's a great alternative to Holden Caulfield who right. hasn't been relevant for right. maybe ever. Um, so the hate you give is like not only like not only for kids who for whom that isn't their experience, it's important to read. And then for the kids who relate to it as their lived right. experience, even more important right. to see that book on yeah. the shelves and that it's the number one New York Times bestseller for like two years. You know, that's so crazy. Such a huge, cool deal. And then the last one I'll say is Bad with Money by Gabby Dunn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just as a practical. She's another podcaster. Yeah. I actually, she knows Tawny. I met her at Tawny's New Year's party this Yay. year. New Year's Day. It's very casual. It's Ooh. not cool. It's not like late night, like partying. <laughs> no, it's like, anyways. You know how it's podcasters party. We yes, really these get really down. big, these big, you know, 11 to 2 <laughs> in the afternoon party. <laughs> I've got to go back to reading. <laughs> Anyways, uh, let's see. Last one. If you could require the current president of the United States to read one book, what would it be? This was a very satisfying question okay. to consider. I was like, oh man, where do you even begin? I can't take credit. It's from the New York Times by the book, but they've been doing it from before right. Trump. 
So back when presidents used to read. Yes. Obama's list just came out of his books that he read this summer. And I was like, I miss presidents who read. I, I know. I like, and honestly, I remember seeing that and being like, I love that he was like, well, you know, this guy's not going to do it. So I guess yeah. it's on me to continue making He's a reading like, list. It's a reading list yeah. for America. You're welcome. Yeah, I'm like, thank you. He's like, please. Oprah's off the air. This guy can't read. <laughs> Fine. It's my one service to the country that I'll continue to do. Exactly. Um, so, so one thing that came to mind from like a civic minded standpoint was These Truths by Jill Lepore. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, the first female written history of the United States, right. like that would be great for us all to read, but especially right. this guy who doesn't seem to be that familiar with the United States. Um, but then I was like, well, what the-? I loved this question because I was like, in, this is a hypothetical in which he has to read the mm-hmm. entire thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ooh, like <laughs> what a deeply satisfying thing. So, so these truths from a civic minded standpoint, but then between the world and me, mm. by Don Easy Coates, I was yeah. like, uh, of course he has to internalize the art. And then I thought also of the house on mango street by mm. Sandra Cicernos. Yeah. I was like, if, if I could force him to take in any kind of cultural, a thing of meaning, right. Uh, it would have to be by black and brown people so that he could be like familiar with them as human beings right. that like they exist. However, that leads me to my last point, which is the fact is that he is not able to see other people right. r- race irregardless. Right. Um, he is, not capable of empathizing or conceptualizing other human beings. Correct. Um, that's my belief anyway, armchair psychiatry. But that's so why I said the psychopath test oh, perfect. Uh, by John Ronson, because maybe, maybe he'll find something to relate to. Maybe he'll relate to himself yeah. there. Those are so good. I do love that question because I feel like there's always so many different answers. And there are certain books or authors that come up, like Tanasi Coates has come up a lot. Toni Morrison oh, obviously has come yes. up a lot there. Um, but then there's also books that I, people come like the Jill Lepore has never been said, the John Ronson's never been said. So I think it's kind of fun. It's just a fun question to also see where my guests yeah. are think about him. Yeah. And that's this is one of the few questions that I don't have a good answer for myself. I still haven't figured out what I would want him to read. Really? I don't know. Does it change all the time? Sometimes, yeah, it, I read yeah. something and I'm like, oh, you should read that. Mm-hmm. Like there's a book coming out in October by Saeed Jones called How We Fight for Our Lives. And he's it's an amazing book. I think you should read that. And then I also love Lacey Johnson who wrote The Reckonings. I think mm-hmm. you should read that too. They're essays. They're smart though. It's so smart. I don't know. Oh, like, you should read Roxanne Gay. <laughs> right. I mean, like there's just, <laughs> there's like an, a never ending list. I think that's why I never have an answer because I'm like, there's a million things. Yeah. The, the truth, truthfully, the answer is he should read. Yes. Anything. Maybe, maybe some people go children's books. That's yes. sometimes the direction people go. How about this? I'd like for him to read his national security reports. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like him to read his briefing. Yeah. Would be fine. That would be a great place to start. <laughs> I don't know. Or all the postcards that I'm sure he gets sent about uh, how terrible he is. Lord. I don't know. Well, not to end on the most negative dancy <laughs> note, but we won't. We're going to end on a more positive note. Next week, we're going to be talking about Educated by Tara Westover. So excited. It's like, you know, the New York Times bestseller, bestseller ever. This is like the most bestseller book we've ever done on the show. Really? So I'm assuming most of you have read it. If you haven't read it, you have a week. We will spoil it. So if you're, there's not a ton of spoilers, but there are. So like, if you don't know her story, read it, come back and listen. Can I also recommend for your yes. listeners, uh, the audiobook was excellent. I was told that the audiobook was excellent also. Yeah. I read it physically. I've heard great things about the audiobook. Audible is a sponsor here. 
audibletrial.com slash the stacks for your free audiobook download. Get educated, come back and listen. Boom. Yes. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. Oh, what a joy. This is such a good conversation. Thank you so much. Oh, and don't forget to get Sarah's book, Tell Me Everything. Oh, yeah. Duh. It's out in the world. We'll link to that and everything else we talked about today in the show notes. Sarah, thank you so much. And thank you guys so much. And we will see you in the stacks. That's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and thank you to Sarah Annie for being our guest. Make sure you get a copy of her book, Tell Me Everything, wherever you get your books. We'll be back next week to discuss Educated by Tara Westover. And yes, there will be spoilers. Find everything we discussed on today's show in the link in the show notes. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter and check out the website, thestackspodcast.com. To join the Stacks Pack and get inside access to this show, go to patreon.com slash the stacks and join the fun. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite and our theme music is from Tagirages. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. I will see you in the Stacks. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.